So as I mentioned earlier, uh, I was gone for the last couple of weeks, and uh, Larry Power spoke two weeks ago. Um, and if you weren't here, you'll want to go online and listen to it. Larry uh, is my brother-in-law and has had profound influence in my life. But he talked out of uh, Psalm 107 and, and talked about how God hears our prayers and our cries when we cry out to him, and he answers. And, uh, I, and, and then last week, if you weren't here as well, you want to go online and listen to Dan Stewart. He talked about uh, experiencing a touch of God and what that looks like. And he talked about the woman who had the issue of blood for 12 years and what God did in her life. And as I listened to both of those, uh, I realized that those were more than just filling messages. Those were things that were for our church especially knowing the things that people are walking through in their lives, knowing that we definitely need to know that God hears our prayers, and all of us, some of us probably more than others in seasons of our life, we need to touch from God. We need to experience God's presence. We need to experience God's power in our lives. And so, um, so those are, it's important. When I leave, and so you guys know this too, anytime John Looney speaks or when Megan Forbes is here or whoever speaks, it, it's not second class. There's something that happens like, Pastor John's not going to be there, but Jesus will be. You know, this is a reminder. But seriously, Larry Powers and Dan Stewart come every summer because they're an upgrade. Those two guys have been professors and influencers in my life. And so uh, I definitely, like, literally, literally, we're driving back from vacation. I'm like, did Harold upload the message yet? I got to listen to it. Because I want to hear both what Dan and Larry have to say. Uh, because I think it's something that's important for our church. So, so you get to downgrade to come to me today. Okay, so we're going to look in Philippians chapter 4. We're going to finish now, finally come to the end of the book of Philippians, which we've been in for a number of months now, and look at the last kind of chunk of, of the, the passage there in chapter 4. We'll uh, look at verse 14 to the close of the chapter, really focusing on 14 through 20 uh, specifically. Uh, but this morning, what we're going to take a look at is, again, before we jump back into this, I want to remind you the context of what you're, you and I are listening to and digesting in terms of what Paul's writing. So this is, a remember, he's written this letter, this note, this extended note and letter to a group of people in Philippi who he's very close with and he loves. And he's writing to them to encourage them and because he has a relationship with them. And this morning what you're going to hear him talk about is he's going to reference a gift, an ongoing giving that he experienced with the church at Philippi that they invested in him in his ministry in, their, in a personal way, not just monetarily. And he references that gift because what he's demonstrating is he's talking about the lifestyle that he lives and the lifestyle that the church in Philippi experienced, which was a lifestyle of generosity. Now, it's important for us as we remember Paul's writing from a place of incarceration where he doesn't have any freedom whatsoever. He's been constricted and he's been controlled because he's been preaching the gospel. Now he's in prison for that. And now he's talking about the joys of giving freely in life and the joys of generosity. Again, you read through the book of Philippians and you think, somebody wrote this on vacation. Somebody wrote this when life was good. No, Paul's writing this at one of the lowest moments of his life. So it's with that understanding, I want us to, to think about something this morning. Because generosity is one of the things, when I bring that up, immediately there's, there's a default for some of us. And that's like, oh man, Pastor John's going to talk about money. And I hate when he talks about money. By the way, we're going to talk a very little bit about money and a whole lot about generosity. Others maybe who live a life of generosity are like, oh, this is going to be exciting and encouraging because this is something I, I value in my life. But when we think about generosity, what does it mean to be generous? What is the easiest, simplest understanding of what it means to be generous? Here's the simplest definition of generosity. Having the ability to give freely. That's generosity. Why is that important? It's not having the ability to give, because all of us have the ability and capacity to give. It's the ability to give with a sense of freedom because we know that God supplies our needs, which will be verse 19, which we'll get to in a moment. Why is that important? Because if you're anything like me, and if we would be honest for just a moment, all of us 
have anxiety about having enough. There are seasons or prolonged seasons or extended seasons in our life where we think through, am I going to have enough to pay my bills? Am I going to have enough to pay the rent? Am I going to have enough to have the things that I want in life? Am I going to have enough to retire? Am I going to have enough? Anybody want to admit you've ever asked that question and thought that? All of us do. And with that comes this anxiety and this weight that we live under because we're constantly trying to figure out how do I stretch my resources? How do I make sure I have enough time? How do, how do I do all these things? What, that is the exact opposite of generosity because generosity is having the capacity to give freely, not giving reluctantly, not giving controlled, not giving with anxiety, not worrying, but the ability to actually give our lives, our resources, our time, our energy, all who we are, away freely. Why? Because we know the God of the universe has got us. He takes care of us. So with that in mind this morning, let's go ahead and if you have your Bibles, we'll look at Philippians chapter 4. Let me read verse 14 and then we'll go down to, to verse 20. So Paul writes this, he says, yet it was kind of you to share my trouble and you Philippians yourselves know that in the beginning of the gospel, when I left Macedonia, no church entered into partnership with me in giving and receiving except you only. Even in Thessalonica, you sent me help for my needs once and again. Now that I, not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that increases to your credit. I have received full payment and more I am well supplied, having received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent, a fragrant offering, a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. Verse 19 is pretty familiar to most of us. He says, And my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. To our God and Father to be glory forever and ever. Amen. Anybody ever heard verse 19 before? It's actually probably up there close to John 3.16, which is we, in those times where it's lean and it's a struggle, we always claim that my God will supply all of my needs uh, according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. So we, we, we claim that, but... What you and I have to realize, this is planted in the middle of a passage that is much bigger than one verse. It's in a context that talks about a lifestyle of generosity. What does it look like to actually live generously? Because here's the whole thing that Paul's working with. God supplies the needs of people who live generously with their lives. This isn't just a blanket statement like, oh, well, God's just going to give me everything I want. No, God promises to guarantee that we will have our needs met as we live generously just as he was generous. That's the promise. So it's important for us to understand, what does a generous life look like? That's what we're going to look at. Seven things that Paul highlights. The first thing, look at verse 14, is that a generous life shares in the journey of others. So Paul says, yet it was kind of you to share in my trouble. Paul is in a lot of trouble right now. As he's writing this, remember, he's preaching the gospel. Now he's in prison. He's being controlled. Eventually, we knew that one of Paul's incarcerations in his life actually led to his execution by the Roman government. So, but Paul's in one of these seasons where he's incarcerated. So he's not in a good season of life. And, and what's happened is more than just a gift, which we'll talk about a little bit more later, but more than just sending a monetary gift, they actually have shared and participated in the trouble that Paul's experienced in his life. There's a relational connection. They are experiencing what he's going through, which means to be generous doesn't necessarily mean to be generous from a distance. That means to be generous in, by being present in the struggles of other people. And the challenge for us is that you and I struggle with sometimes being generous in the present. It's easy to be generous from a distance. We'll talk more about it later, but sometimes it's easier to write a check than it is to give ourselves. 
but what Paul's talking about is that they know his trouble, they've experienced there's a personal relationship that they have. But when that becomes a part of our life, then what happens is that we are know how to be more generous with people when we understand the struggles of their life. Why? Because we've participated in their trouble. We've walked where they've walked. We've experienced what they're experiencing. We're with them and understand that. Here's a picture of what it looks like to share in the journeys of others. So this is a picture I took a couple years ago. It's John Looney, and then that's uh, Stacy Ziegler, who now lives up in Oregon, on, was our, one of our Haiti teams. And uh, if you guys have been to Haiti, you're probably familiar. This is the, this is the Delmas, uh, um, at the time, this is the Delmas uh, orphanage for kids with special needs. In Haiti, if you have a disability, you're considered cursed, and so you end up on the street literally as a kid. You just are dumped by your parents, and so they, the kids find their way into this orphanage. And so uh, to understand their world is just to spend a little bit of time one day kind of hanging out with them, holding them, realizing their existence only happens through the generosity of other people. They are fully dependent on everybody around them. And just to spend a, just a little bit of time, I think we spent maybe a couple hours there one day and just sat with them and held them. And just for a moment, we got a glimpse of what their life was like. To be fully dependent on other people in a very harsh environment gives you an understanding. I know when I came back from the tr that trip, one of the things that we started, and this has been going on for years, is that we started giving through Connect2 and adopting an orphan. Because I felt like, wow, okay, now at least I have a picture of what these guys are experiencing every single, this is my life for a week, this is their life every day. But to understand a little bit of their troubles. And that sometimes, that means that generosity can be costly. It isn't a convenient exchange. It's something that we have to enter into in our lives. It doesn't mean that you have to go to Haiti to experience it, but that means that you and I have to do live generously in close proximity to people to understand the struggles that they have in their life. Second thing, look at verse 15. A generous life gives when others withhold. So verse 15, Paul says, When I left Macedonia, no church entered into partnership with me in giving and receiving except only you. Now, just think about this for a moment. If you've read the book of Acts, you know that Paul did a few significant things for the kingdom of God. In his speaking and God's power through him and in his ability to plant churches. Paul's planting churches everywhere he goes. So he has this relational connection with all these churches, and yet in his ministry, he says this pretty convicting statement. No church except for you invested in me in this season of my ministry when I left Macedonia. So I just want you to think about it for a moment. I, I, I don't think this is too, much, too far of a leap to, to think this. But if Paul has relationship with all these other churches, then why are all the churches giving to him? Why wouldn't the church that Paul plants be more apt to say, well, let's support him. Why? He helped to start our church. He's doing that in other places. Let's give to him. But only one church does. It's the church at Philippi. What's going on in all these other churches that would keep them from giving, knowing that Paul obviously has need? Well, I can only apply that to maybe our context today. Why is it that you and I don't give? Now, here's, here's my understanding, and this is a tendency of what we have to do. Have you ever said this to yourself or said it out loud? I don't know if I want to give to that because I don't know if it's a worthy cause. Anybody ever said that before? Oh, raise your hands. Come on, people. Now, usually that comes under kind of the heading of good stewardship. And it's important for us to be good stewards of our money. But I think sometimes, if we're honest, we're using stewardship as an excuse not to give. Because here's what we do. We assess this person's need or this organization's need or what's going on in the church or what's happening in our community. And then we kind of have this grid that we pass things through and say, well, is this really worth me investing my time or giving my resource? 
just think about that, what that's saying for a moment. That's saying that you and I have the capacity to sit in judgment on other people and organizations in order to see if they are worthy or not. Who's the ultimate uh, example of generosity? Jesus. Can you imagine that there, if there was ever this conversation where before Jesus came to the planet, he and the Father were having a conversation, and the Father says to Jesus, you know that my plan is now going to now kick in. You know that you're going to go down, and you're going to become human. And, and the, oh, we know the only way that you can reestablish relationship with humanity and, and with us is through giving your life, and you know you're going to have to do that. Can you imagine if Jesus pushed back, and he says to the Father, you know, I've been watching humanity for a long time now. I don't know if they're a worthy cause. I don't know if I should give my life for them because, you know, I know I'm going to give my life for them. They're going to turn around and walk away from me. I don't know if they're a worthy cause, so maybe I'll just stay here. Aren't you glad that that conversation never happened? That Jesus, what, became human, actually emptying himself for our sake, showing generosity, not because we're worthy, but because we're unworthy. Now, does that mean that you just kind of give wherever? No, I get that. But here, I think that we, give, we don't give enough when we should be giving more. Because sometimes we're too judgmental. It's the same encounter that you have when you see a homeless person. You're trying to figure out, should I help them? Nah, they're going to go spend it on what? Alcohol or drugs, right? How do you know that? Have you spent time with them? Do you know they're an alcoholic? You don't know that. But the, 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 the need is in front of you. And someone who can freely give is far less judgmental about who they're giving to. Why? Because they can give freely. So third thing. Third thing is that a, a generous life gives continually. Says, Paul says, verse 16, even in Thessalonica, you sent me help for my needs once and again. He's talking about over and over again, you keep helping me, you keep sending, you keep continually giving. It isn't like a one-shot deal. It's like, okay, we are, we're generous and now we're done. You know, you go do your thing. Ongoingly, there was this, this lifestyle that the Philippian church lived in that said we're going to constantly give where the need is. We're going to give ongoingly. It's a lifestyle. What happens when a lifestyle becomes generous? That means that everyone around you benefits from your generosity. Everybody gets blessed because you're a person that freely gives what they have. So I've been on the receiving end of this kind of lifestyle many times in my life, but let me show you a picture of a house, and I'll give you the backstory on this. In fact, if you watch a lot of television, you might even recognize this house, but I'll tell you why in, in just a moment. The family, the couple that lives here, their kids are all grown now, but the couple that lives here has been family friends of ours since I can remember, as long as I've been alive. And they have done more to invest in our family than any other people that I know on the face of the earth. They have been so generous the house that my parents bought that I grew up out in Van, in Van Nuys, they helped us get into that house when we couldn't get in financially. In fact, when my dad went back to school to get his doctorate, he made a commitment to give one year to focus in on that on study, and he didn't work. And this family and a few other families that we'd known for a long year, they made a commitment for one year. They supported a family of six so my dad could finish his education. They gave me one of my first jobs when I was in high school, when I had no business give, doing the job that they gave me. Since I was small, we had a, a family vacation every year that we went to Hume Lake. And the reason we could do that is because they had a cabin at Hume Lake that they gave to our family every summer. And this is, this is 
kind of mixed with all these points where they used to bless us financially. They would bring food to our house. They would do anything they could, just constantly blessing us. In fact, their life is so consumed with generosity that their whole life is finding ways to give. So this is their house. Let me tell you about this house. This is in an area of Van Nuys that if you drove into it, if you've been to Van Nuys, like I grew up in Van Nuys, Van Nuys is not the nicest place to live anymore. There's pockets. This is a two-block two pocket of Van Nuys that if you drive in, you're like, okay, I'm not in the San Fernando Valley. I'm, I'm somewhere in Mayberry. You know, you've got the white picket fence. It's this beautiful two, two streets. Their house happens to, to be in that area. And what's so amazing about this house is that this house has been on, I don't know what the last count is, it's ridiculous, not so many TV shows and commercials, you probably have seen it and don't even know it. It's had a commercial where there's a car sitting in the driveway and it has a big bow on it. In fact, uh, about a month ago, another commercial came out, there was a couple in, in the front yard and they were chopping wood and they had to break through the walls, I don't even know what the commercial's about, I just knew the house. They had to break through the walls and, and there's been TV shows and all kinds of things and filmed. But you know what this couple has made a decision to do a long time ago with this house that God blessed them with? Every dime they receive from Hollywood to use their house for a commercial or a TV show, 100% of it goes to missions. They make thousands and thousands and thousands and thousands of dollars a year, and they don't take a dime for themselves. They give it to missions. Why? Because they have lived a life of generosity. So every opportunity they have is an opportunity to extend the resources God has given them to bless other people. There are missionaries in other countries that are there because of this couple's generosity. This is the kind of thing that Paul's talking about. When you and I give continually, there's a lifestyle of generosity. And they are the most blessed, happy people that I know. And it isn't because they live in a really cool house, okay? It's because they have the freedom to give freely because they live generously. Then there's a, in fact, here, let me just read this before we jump on to the fourth point. Here's a reminder. This is, this is their life. 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verses 6 and 7, probably familiar. Remember this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. Whoever sows generously will also reap generously. Each man should give what he has decided in his heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves what? A cheerful giver. When you live a life of generosity, there's joy in giving. I could go on and on. This, this couple, by the way, they, he and his brother owned a business that they owned for years and worked really hard at it and were generous to the business and they sold the business and now they're multimillionaires. But they keep giving it away. Why? Because they were sowing generously in their life. God has blessed them in return. Fourth thing, a generous life sees the eternal reward. So Paul says in verse 17, not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that increases to your credit. What is Paul talking about? He's not talking about the money. He's talking about what's happening in the church at Philippi in the lives of people that would cause them to be generous, which goes way beyond any monetary gift. It goes to something internal and eternal. It goes to something deep and profound that God's working inside of them and how that translates to what? Credit in eternity. Paul's not talking about credit for salvation because salvation comes by what? God's grace in our life. That's a gift. But there is a reward that when we go and we're in eternity with God someday, we're, we're secure in our salvation, but there's the potential for experiencing God's reward. Why? The way that we live our lives here. So he's talking about this deep, profound change in their lives that has eternal consequences. So generosity isn't about an exchange of money or time or resource. It ultimately is about what God is doing in you to get you to the place where you actually give freely. Why? When you give freely, you become like Jesus. 
which is the ultimate goal for our lives here on earth, is to be like him. It's something deeper. You know those, those moments as a, as a parent where you start to see the deep thing that God is doing in your kids actually come to the surface? You ever, you know those moments that you cherish because sometimes you're living in those moments of like, oh God, help me. And as a parent, you know what I'm talking about? But every once in a while, there's those moments and you're like, wow, God, you're doing something deep in my kids. So I might have shared this before, but, but when it comes to generosity, one of the things that stood out to me when we were in a season of time a number of years ago when we were up in Oregon, we were walking the church through uh, understanding how the rest of the world lives. And so because uh, at that time especially, but even continued today, that the majority of the world lives on $2 a day, the major- a good portion of the world doesn't have access to clean water, and a good portion of the world struggles even to have food on the table. So we went through a season where we did a day without water, a day without money, and a day uh, without food so that we could experience for one 24-hour period what is it like to what the rest of the world experiences. So while we were going through that, though, at the same time, we were, we were as a church, we were giving to help things going on around the world to help people dealing with issues of poverty. And so one Saturday morning, uh, Kim and I were having a discussion with Courtney and Jordan. They were present there. And we were talking about, as a family, particularly Kim and I were talking about what do we want to do? How, what, what are we going to do to give? And so as we're having this dialogue, um, we're, we're kind of talking, and, and, and Jordan is our introvert, and so Jordan is more quiet, but he was kind of in the conversation. Courtney's our extrovert, and Courtney talks all the time. If you know her, you know that's true, and she would own that. And so we're having this dialogue, and all of a sudden, Jordan's not part of the conversation anymore. He's just gone quiet. I'm like, okay, he's, he's being his introvert self. But all of a sudden, as he gets quiet, we all look at him, and he's looking at us, and he's just sobbing. He's crying, and I'm like, uh-oh, what's, what did, what's going on? What did we miss? And he's just crying and he's crying. And, and we had not said to him, like, okay, you have to give because we're all talking as a family. And he looks at us and he's sobbing and he says, I know what I'm supposed to give. And we're like, we didn't ask you that, to give. But he goes, I know God's telling me I'm supposed to give. I'm like, well, what are you supposed to give? So the backstory is Jordan had an iP- iPod that we bought for him that he had broken a little while earlier. It fell and it broke. And so we told him, we'll buy the first one. You got to buy the second one. So he had been saving all of his, his birthday money and all of his uh, allowance. And the guy doesn't have a lot of money. He's like, I think he was nine or 10 years old. And so he had saved up 40 bucks. So he wasn't even halfway there at that time for the iPod that he wanted. And he says, with tears running down his face, he goes, I'm supposed to give all the money that I'm, that I'm saving for my iPod. Kim and I looked at each other and like, we thought we were generous. <laughs> He's giving everything he has. And so he did. And this is the beauty of that. I mean, Kim and I are watching this unfold in his life, realizing he's understanding the value of what it looks like to be generous. Three days later, we get a phone call from a friend in the church. Have no idea of the dialogue. I think they had cameras in our house that day. <laughs> she calls and she said, hey, by the way, I just bought a brand new iPod and my old one I don't have any use for. And before I just give it away or sell it or whatever, do you guys have any need for an iPod? It was the exact one that Jordan was saving for. Then tears came again for all of us. As, but, but in that moment, I watched as my son learned this lesson that when you live generously, God is generous with you. And so I watched him give freely. He didn't think that he was going to get anything in return, but God took care of him. So it gave him the ability to be generous, thinking of something far more important than just the monetary gift that's given, which leads to the fifth thing. Look at verse 18, the first part. A generous life gives personally, not just monetarily. 
So Paul says, I've received full payment and more. I'm well supplied, having received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent me. Now, just let's get back 2,000 years ago and remember this is the context that's going on. Okay, now if you and I are going to give, this is the equivalent of like giving a gift to a missionary. So how do you and I do that? We write a check and we drop it in the mail. We go online and we do it electronically. You know, uh, back in, in Paul's day, they didn't have the cash app. Okay, they didn't have online banking. They didn't even have mail. So in order for them to give a gift to Paul, what did it require? It required somebody personally taking it to him. And if you were here a couple months ago, we went through, and I think it's in chapter 2, Paul talks about Timothy and Epaphroditus as two of his closest partners in ministry. And he talks about the value of them. What had happened is Epaphroditus, as, as the extension of the church at Philippi, journeying to where Paul was, almost died in the process to make sure that Paul could have the gift. And then stayed with Paul and invested himself personally in partnering with whatever ministry Paul could do at a point of incarceration. He gave himself, so it wasn't as though they just wrote a check, but they actually sent a person who put their life at risk in order for Paul to have the gift that he needed to sustain his needs. Think about that for a moment. This is difficult. Sometimes, let's just be really honest, it's easy to write a check. It is. Something comes up, and, and we can be generous, and we can write a big check, but sometimes there's something more important than writing a check. It's writing a check with your life. Because people don't need your money, they need you. Here's how this looks. Let me talk about Laundry Love for a moment. Laundry Love has been a part of our church for five years. We have six Laundry Loves that we do throughout our city right now. And it's interesting in our church, there's an interesting dialogue around this concept of laundry love. I've met people who absolutely love it. They look forward to it in their community groups. I have people in our church who absolutely hate it. And this is the pushback that I've heard from laundry love. It's just throwing quarters in a machine. People could go do their laundry on their own. They don't really need it. I don't want to talk to a stranger. People don't really want to be bothered. It doesn't work. I can't, no one's getting saved in a laundromat. Isn't that the whole point is to put money into a laundry machine and then share the gospel so they get saved? I don't think it works, and then they pull out. You missed the point. Laundry love's not about quarters. Laundry love's not about laundry detergent. Laundry love's not about a laundry love. It is about you being present in somebody else's life. That's what laundry love's about. And you showing up for an hour and a half to two hours once a month to throw quarters in a machine and spend time with people earns you the right to be in their life, at least for an hour and a half every month. And I've watched over time and time again, and it usually takes a good year, year and a half of being in a laundromat before you actually earn the right into somebody's life. And you're there to be present. We have people in our church today who've seen God work in their life and actually are part of Antioch because of laundry love. We don't invite people to church in laundry love, but they start asking really strange questions like, you guys got to be part of a church. Regular people just don't do this kind of thing. Laundry love's not easy, especially you go in a laundry love this, this week when it's going to be 100 degrees, and you go in a laundromat, and it's 110 when the dryers go on. Nobody wants to be there, and there's a little fan in the corner trying to keep all these people cold. It doesn't work. But why are you there? It's not for the quarters, it's for a relationship. And relationship is messy, and it takes time, and it's costly. But that's what Jesus called us to do. That's why we do laundry love. That's why we go down to Skid Row. And it's great to give money. But what does God want more than our money? He wants our lives. 
He gave his life for us and calls us to give our lives for other people. You guys are getting really quiet, so either real good conviction, you're like, Pastor John, please move on. Look at the next part of verse 18. The sixth reality of a generous life is that it's motivated by pleasing God instead of self. So Paul says this. Listen to what he says. Describing the gift that they're giving, he says that it's a fragrant offering, a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. This act of generosity is a huge, huge positive before God. Not that you and I are earning anything of God's acceptance or God's, uh, the salvation that God brings, but there's something that you and I can do as insignificant, one of billions and billions of people who live on the planet that we can do in a moment that brings a smile to the face of God. Just think about that. You and I have the capacity to please God, to do something that actually makes him happy that brings a sense of satisfaction to to his heart for his people. It's when it's reflected in the way that we live generously because now we become like his kids. We're starting to act like Jesus acts. We're starting to live like Jesus lives. We're starting to reflect the nature of our father who was what? Was ultimately generous with us that when we're generous with other people, then we, we have that. See, one of the things that you and I, if we're willing to admit, there's a thing that every kid needs Every kid needs to have a moment in their life, if not an ongoing moment, where they please their parents. Where their parents look at that, look at them without with disdain or disappointment, but with a smile on their face. Why? Because there's pride. That's my child. That's my son. That's my daughter. Now, I know all of us can, as parents, you can think of all the other ones where you're like, oh, is that my son? Is that my daughter? Right? But those moments where you feel that, for some of us growing up, you never got that. Particularly, I know this as a guy. That's one of the struggles of men when they become adults is their dad never acknowledged them. Their dad never accepted them. Their dad never really looked at them with approval. And because as adult men, they've never grown up, why they're still trying to figure out how do I get my dad's approval? It's important. But Paul's saying through a simple act of generosity, you and I can bring a smile to the face of God. That's huge. Just think about what that's like as a parent or as a child to either be giving that or receiving that. So I've, you know, I've talked about Courtney and, and her experiences, and she's been up in an internship up in Oregon for a little while, but, but one of the, the, the things that she's a part of this, this summer is that they've been traveling and doing events as a part of the internship, and up at our Foursquare convention up in Seattle, she was part of helping uh, work with the kids during that week while the adults were at the, the sessions, and so this is a huge deal. Um, Courtney and her team were in charge of, get this, 85 two to five-year-olds. Yeah. And 45 of those two to five-year-olds were two-year-olds. Some of you are like, that is not fun. That is like a week in hell, right? You're like, please don't. But she was in charge of that with her team from the internship. And here's one of the, the, the things that Courtney was responsible for is that she wrote the curriculum for those 85 kids for that week. She wrote the curriculum. They didn't buy her curriculum, she wrote it. And it was out of what curriculum she wrote for the kids that she was working with in Kenya when she was in Kenya four months earlier. They just expanded it to be a part of what was going on with the kids that she was working with here in the US. So the first day we got there, Courtney takes us into this room, this space that they've created for these 85 kids, the set that they've built and what they're gonna be doing and all this stuff that's going on. And she's so excited. And that she's telling us about the curriculum. And I just sat back and I just, smiled. I just smiled. I thought, look at what my daughter's doing. She's giving her life away for a group of people 
that need to be cared for so mom and dad can be, but more than just caring for them, she's giving them an experience this week that can hopefully help them get closer to Jesus. How more proud could I be of that moment? You and I have the same capacity with the God of the universe. If it's writing a check to somebody, if it's walking into a laundromat, if it's giving generously to the point where it hurts, the God of the universe looks down at humanity and says, you got it. You got it. That's what I created you to be, to what? Freely give. Why? Because you freely received. Now give it away. Now, obviously, that's in context of salvation, but it covers our finances, our resources, and our time as well. Final thing is this. Look at verse 19. And here's the most familiar verse in this context. Paul says this, a generous life experiences God's provision for life. And he says, and my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. This is coming from a guy who is in prison and says, by the way, God will meet all of your needs. But Paul doesn't stop there. He doesn't say, oh yeah, anything that you have, you just, you know, you just pray the genie prayer and the God of, in the sky will somehow grant you. No, it's not what Paul's saying. Paul's saying, listen, according to everything that Jesus has done for you, God will supply your needs as you live generously. He will be generous with you. I want you just to think about what would my life look like if I didn't have anxiety about resources? I didn't worry about how much time I had. I didn't have to always ask the question, can I afford? I didn't have to live in this tension of, is this a worthy cause? But I gave freely because I knew I could never lose in giving. I could only gain. What if that was the reality? I, I'm convinced most of us wouldn't have anxiety about our finances anymore. We wouldn't worry about having enough time to do the things that we know that God's calling us to do. Why? Because we can freely give it away because God's freely going to bless us. He's going to be generous with us. Let me close with this. Story from, from Jesus in Mark chapter 12. So before I read it, this is probably a familiar passage. This is a story of, of an uh, elderly woman who gave a very small offering but gave more than anybody else who had given offering as Jesus witnessed this. Now let me, you catch the context of what's going on here. Generosity is not about an amount. Generosity is about a lifestyle. It's a big difference. So back in Jesus' day, the way that they did offering at the temple was very different than the way we do it today. We're very discreet. We're very private. Um, we can do online giving. You can use tithely. You can drop it in the boxes. You can put it in the basket as it goes by. In Jesus' day, when they received offering at the temple, it was a very public thing. So they would actually set up these receptacles in a certain area of the temple where you would come and bring your offering. And according to what you were giving towards and what tithe it was, it would go in each of these receptacles. It would be the equivalent of us laying out in front of you five or six different boxes on the stage. And every time we went to give offering, you would choose where you're going to give towards in terms of the ministry of the church. But everybody would be expected to come forward and in a very public way give their gifts. That would be really weird if we did that next week, huh? You're like, oh, I gave online, right? Oh, everybody's giving online now, right? I don't want to walk up. But this is what's happening. Jesus is sitting and watching this transpire. And wealthy people are coming up, and you can figure probably what they're doing is they're waving in the air what they're giving. They're making sure everybody sees how much money they give. And everybody goes, wow, that person just dropped $2,000. That person just gave $10,000. Wow. And then in the middle of all these generous people, this elderly woman slips in and she drops in, and we'll read the story, two copper coins. Listen to how this story transpires. Jesus sat opposite the place where the offerings were put, and he watched the crowd putting their money into the temple treasury. Many rich people threw in large amounts, 
But a poor widow came and put in two very small copper coins worth only a few cents. Calling his disciples to him, Jesus said, Truly I tell you, this poor widow has put more into the treasury than all the others. They all gave out of their wealth, but she, out of her poverty, put in everything, all she had to live on. So who's the generous person in the story? It's not the person who gave the most amount of money. It's the person who gave everything. How in the world could this woman give freely? I'm convinced she understood what Paul's talking about. She knew that if she gave everything that she had to live off of, God would supply her needs. So she gave freely. Who's the one that is the joyful and cheerful giver? It's the woman who gave everything. I can guarantee those who came and gave more money and did it in a very public way came and did it with anxiety. Why? Because their focus was, who's going to see me? Are they going to know how much money I'm giving? And so there's all this anxiety surrounded. She slips up there almost unnoticed, drops in nothing compared to them, yet she's the one that is considered generous and blessed. I want to end with that story because so many times when we think of generosity, we think of rich people with a lot of money. That's not generosity. In fact, sometimes people who have the most money are the least generous, even though they give more money than anybody else. Why? Because they're not giving out of their poverty. They're giving out of their wealth. It never hurts to give out of your wealth. It hurts to give out of your poverty. But someone who gives out of their poverty realizes they have an unlimited resource because God will take care of their needs. I'm going to ask you, would you close your eyes? I want to close in prayer, but I, I, I want to bring a, a point of application for how we see our lives. Hear me on this, because if you've come to the end of this, this message and you feel a sense of guilt, like, ah, I got to give more, and Pastor John's twisting my arm, and by the way, we're not going to take another offering to prove your worth, okay? But if, you, if that's what you're hearing, you, you've missed it. You're listening to a different voice than the voice of the Holy Spirit. Because what God wants you and I to understand is that a generous life is a life that is free. A generous life is a life that is filled with joy. A generous life is a life that makes a lasting impact, an eternal impact on everyone around them. A generous life is the life that Jesus gave his life so that you could live it. It's what God wants for you. And it isn't about a, a number. It isn't about a feeling of compulsion. And it isn't about guilt. It is about a confidence in God's ability to take care of your needs that you don't care anymore about what you give. You realize it's what God wants you to give. So God wants us to free from asking the question, how much can I afford? He wants to free us from looking at our calendars before we say yes to something that we know is important to him. God wants us to give, give us the freedom to be all in and let him take care of what we need. So if that anxiety is something that you've walked into with today, God wants you to leave it here and walk out free. So when I pray in a moment, I'm gonna ask you that you would hand over your life once again your resources because that is that is your money your time because that is something that sometimes is more important than money the ability and willingness to risk personally to be present with people in their trouble 
that you would be willing to surrender everything so that you could be in places where God is going to allow you to be generous with who you are. Lord Jesus, as we come to a conclusion today, I pray that we would hear your voice speaking through the inspired words that Paul recorded for us to hear and for your spirit to activate in our souls. That you are a God who promises to meet our needs in the context of a generous life that we live. So Lord, wherever it is today, would you open our eyes to see what life could be like if we lived free, if we were able to give freely because we've received freely. So Lord, I don't know what that looks like for each of us, but I know, Lord, that your spirit customizes what we need to hear today for each one of us. So Lord, speak clearly and let us be obedient so that there is an eternal impact in our lives and in the lives around us because we are willing to be people who live generous lives. We thank you, Jesus. Would you stand with me as we conclude? I, I want to share one final thing. And Generosity is about what's big and what about what's small. It's about events in our life and it's about what happens every single day. It's about the opportunities that God presents to us that we take advantage of. So in our life, Kim and I have, have made a commitment that when we are presented with a need, we don't go to our bank account to see how much money we have. We don't look at our bills. We don't do any kind of financial calculations. We just ask God, separate from each other, God, what do you want us to give? And 99% of the time, we're exactly the same amount of money or the same thing and commitment that we're supposed to make. And then we know it's the Lord. And it's always more than if we go to the bank account, we're like, ah, if we go to the bank account, guess what I'm going to come up with? I can't afford it. But there's opportunities that you and I have every day to be people who live generously. And so I'm going to just close with this. Friday night, Kim and I went out to dinner, and we went to a restaurant that we like to go to. When we walked in, the air conditioning was broken. At 5.30 at night, it was still 109 degrees. It was more than 109 degrees in the restaurant. The front door was open, and the place was empty except for the employees. So we walk in immediately, you just, I mean, you're sweating and you look at them and they're sweating because they've been there for hours. And I walked to the counter, I said, wow, I said, how long has your AC been out? They're like, all day. I said, why don't you guys close? They're like, we can't, we've got to stay open. I'm like, how long are you open? They're like, open till nine. Oh, at least it'll cool down to 99 at nine o'clock, right? So I looked at Kim and I said, do you want to get it to go? <laughs> and so we ordered and as we finished ordering, she looks at me and she goes, we can't get it to go. I'm like, oh yes, we can get it to go. <laughs> She goes, no, she goes, they're in here. We need to be in here too. And this is, this is a woman who's way more sensitive to heat than I am. I'm like, who is this woman? So we sit down and we're like sweating and, and, and our food comes and we're eating and, and she looks at me and she's just looking over at the employees and they're wilting. She goes, you know, they need to cool down. She goes, there's a Jamba Juice just across the way. She goes, I'm gonna go get them Jamba Juice because they gotta cool down. I'm like, fine, go. So she walks over to the counter and, and they're like dying there. And she's like, hey, would you mind if I go and get you guys? And at first we thought there was two employees. She goes, oh no, there's five. Like, go for it. They keep coming out of the back, right? And so she's like, well, we've never been to Jamba Juice. We don't know what's there. And Kim's like, well, why don't, why, why don't you come with me? And they're like, oh, I could see like the, the walls are going up. And, and I'm like, Kim, just go get the Jamba Juice. Who cares? They'll love it, right? And she's like, no, one of you come with me. Come with me. And so finally one of them's like, okay, I'll go. So she walks over to Jamba Juice and gone for about 10, 12 minutes and I'm finishing eating my dinner and we're sweltering and they come walking back in and, and you, wouldn't, it would have, you would have thought we gave them a million dollars. 
We spent four bucks, five bucks on each of them to get something nice at Jamba Juice. And you would have thought that we have, they won the lottery. They're coming over and they're thanking us. And, and so as we finished our meal, we, we said, you know, thanks to them. And we headed out. And so I got in the car and I said, so, because Kim and I know the way this works. I said, what's your story? Kim had 10 minutes with this woman in Jamba Juice and she got her life story. She started hearing about her child and her job and pr- pr- potential for promotion and what she was doing and where she lived. I mean, this woman's just unpacking her life because it was cold in Jamba Juice and she wanted to stay there as long as possible. But I walked away from that and thought that for us was a small thing. Not a whole lot of money came out of our bank account for that. But for those employees and the time Kim spent with that woman, there's something eternal because we're going to go back to that restaurant and we're going to get to know her more and more and more. And when did that relationship start? It started on a day when it was 110 degrees and the AC broke. And my wife had an idea. Let's just be simply generous and see what God does. I say that to brag on my wife. That was all her idea. But I say that so you and I will open our eyes. Every place we go is an opportunity to live generously. So let's go do it. Let's go live it out. God bless you.